0: If you have a Bible, you can turn to first Peter, chapter four. First Peter, chapter four. The last uh, several sermons have been um, kind of heavy. And so I thought, oh, not lighten it up in the bad sense, um, but lighten it up a bit by addressing an issue that I have addressed before. It's pretty prevalent, especially in the New Testament. And you've heard this verse before, I refer to it, 1 Peter 4.9 is the verse that I'm immediately referring to at this time, where we read, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So a very clear and direct text, be hospitable to one another without grumbling or without complaining. Now, what does it mean to be hospitable? If we are Christians, we know that hospitality is required of us in at least three or four passages of the New Testament. I think hospitality is actually an extension of the second greatest commandment, you know, to love our neighbors as ourselves. But to be hospitable means to treat others warmly and generously. At least it means that, to treat others warmly and generously, warmly, that is making them feel feel loved because they're genuinely loved. You desire their well-being, you desire their good, and in order to secure that, you are going to be generous with your gifts, your talents toward them. Now, as we shall see, though to be hospitable does not always require you having someone over your house— I think sometimes people think, oh, to be hospitable means to have people over your house. Well, it could be. Just because you have somebody over your house, if you've been to my house, you know this. Do I always look like really generous and uh, really um, warm? Probably not. You know, my wife reminds me of that. Can you lighten up a little? Make people feel like you really want them here? Simply because you open up your door and say, all right, get in here. Get this over with, so I can check the First Peter four nine box off. Doesn't mean you've been hospitable, so we don't want to narrow the the uh, application of this text just to our homes. I think it's broader than that, but we don't want to negate the the power, potential power of using our homes for genuine hospitality. Now, I think everyone has it within them, and it's all scrambled up because we're sinners. Everyone wants to be treated warmly and generously. Everyone desires that good from others. And that is what love does. Love treats others warmly and generously. Love gives. As we shall see love and hospitality go together in Scripture. So to introduce the subject, let's look at uh, two passages. I just want to read and make a couple comments on these. Here's Romans 12, 6 through 13, to give us a portrait of the Scripture's teaching, focusing on the New Testament, on hospitality. I'm going to read verses 6 through 13. I want you to especially note verses 9, 10, and 13. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So, Paul's talking to Christians about something given to them. So, this isn't something we merely do, but it's something we work out. Grace is worked in, and then we work those things out. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches, In teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Avoid listening to that noise back there. This is, this is, this is a Baptist church, you guys. beyond our control. Now, note verse 9, love, verse 10, brotherly love, verse 13, hospitality, okay? So I said hospitality and love go together. Nothing. Uh, notice something else as well. Paul mentions that believers have various gifts. He identifies several here, prophecy, ministry, or service. He who exhorts, he who gives, he who shows mercy. We'll see a similar connection between Gift giving and then working those things out uh, practically in our lives. But these are gracious endowments upon the souls of believers, and these gracious endowments bestowed upon the souls of believers are not acquired by believers but are to be habitually exercised by them. There's a difference. We are not to take steps. Toward these things, these are graces endowed upon us to be exercised by us. Let's go over to 1 Peter 4 now. We'll spend most of our time over there. In 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 10, to get the context, we read this. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Again, uh, how do we know that people are the disciples of Christ? Well, one way is this. Badge of discipleship that Jesus identified as love for one another. You know, John 13. Here we have, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Referring to a a proverb. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. You wonder why right after love will cover a multitude of sins, he says be hospitable, and it's not full stop, to one another And not full stop, but without grumbling. Well, maybe because sometimes it's hard to be hospitable. Because some of you are hard to be hospitable toward. All of us have, you know, those times. Without grumbling. As each one has received a gift. Here it is again. Endowment from God. Minister it to one another as good shepherds of the manifold grace of God. You know, Christianity isn't just Working out what we think we ought to do toward others, so that we're climbing our way into God's favor, or something like that. Here, as Paul and Peter talk to write to believers, uh, he's talking about vertical, vertically endowed in a descending fashion from heaven, gracious gift to, gifts to our souls, uh, not acquired by us. Acquired for us by the Lord Jesus, and then deposited to us that we might work those things out. So Christianity uh, comes from above. You don't just become a Christian out of nowhere because you're doing the right things. You know, you're just following your heart. Uh, Follow your heart. How many songs say that over the years? You know, a lot of them. It's like, well, I did, and it was disaster. Um. The Christians are made new and then they are endowed with these new abilities. Not, they're not just habits they've formed over time, though they are to become habitual. They are graces endowed upon us, given to us by the grace of God. As First Peter and Romans 12 uh, are the same, uh in this that the love of the saints hospitality and employing our gifts are related to it to each other so these are very clear passages in one sense uh without digging real deep into either one uh, being hospitable to one another if you're a professing christian is not an option right you say well i that's not my gift he doesn't you know not every passage that hospitality is in are, are is it Identified as a a gift. Matter of fact, is it ever? I don't think it is even ever identified as a gift. It's identified as a, we could say, a grace, uh, but also a duty. It is the chief way we show our love for one another. We are to treat the saints warmly and generously. They are to feel accepted by us, and they are to be recipients of our generous giving of our gifts and ourselves and our belongings. Love of the saints, hospitality, and employing our God-endowed gifts, they all go together. Now, if this is so, and it is, this means that one of the great ways to be of service to others is to be hospitable to them. So let's look at First Peter. That's what I want to look at and explain and draw out some of the... Uh, implications. You know, 1 Peter 4, it has a context, of course. It's chapter 4, but it's a whole book as well. If you read the whole book, you, you get some flavor for what's going on there. The audience was enduring uh, trials. Uh, I would say trials of a nature that none of us here have ever experienced. You can see this in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, the assumption is we're going to suffer as well, and they were, verses 12 and 14, beloved, 12 and following, excuse me, beloved. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, you're being like him, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he... Is glorified, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anything, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So the context is suffering. One of the things we kind of learn from this is you can't say to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you know what? I'm suffering. So I'm off the hook. I don't owe you anything. You owe it to me. Okay, that's. uh, It's not a very. That's like a bad attitude. I have a friend every once in a while. He was a pastor, and I'd invite me to go preach at their church, and I'd get up, and he'd say, "You have a bad attitude." Simply because you're going through it doesn't mean you're not to be hospitable toward others. These guys, these people were going through it. These first century believers enduring various difficulties due to their allegiance to Christ. And yet Peter writes this letter to, to them. But note also that Peter connects love of the saints with hospitality and employing God-given gifts. I've already read the passage, verses 8 and following. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a gift, and so on and so forth. So You see here the connection, just like with Paul, of... uh, 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 love of the saints with hospitality and employing God-given gifts. Now, notice the clear command here. Here it is. Be hospitable. That's pretty profound, isn't it? But what does it mean? Obviously, believers are here commanded to be something, which entails also, obviously, doing something. Because, Who wants a spouse that says, boy, in here, I got a hunk, a hunk of burning love, even though I never express it. Sorry, you just got to trust me. You know, who wants somebody to say, in here, I am, I love the saints and I'm hospitable, even though nobody ever sees it. It doesn't get communicated, but boy, is it burning in here. See, obviously, That's not what's going on here. Be hospitable uh, means to be something and then to externalize it. Do something. To be hospitable is to express oneself toward others warmly and generously. It involves the giving of oneself and of the sharing of one's belongings for the benefits of others. Some of these words, actually all of them, but some especially, I chose very carefully. Because you, you think about us and hospitality, usually you just think this way, you know, horizontally. We're creatures, okay, God says to do love, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and one another as ourselves, and then if you're a Christian, it, it's added to it as well, especially to those of the household of faith do good to all men especially to those of the household of faith that's in the book of galatians and this involves the giving of oneself and the sharing of one's belongings for the benefit of others who sometimes are a little crusty or whatever it is so being hospitable brings about doing warm and generous things toward others So what do you think God is requiring of us? Well, on the one hand, be like God. We'll get to that more often, more uh, later. It's clear that in the first century, some believers opened their homes for church meetings. You can read that in Romans 16. Three through five, we're not going to turn to these passages. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Colossians 4.15. There were house churches in the first century and into the second, and probably longer than that. Well, there are. There are house churches today, okay? Churches that are housed in an individual's home. But it's also most likely that some open their homes to traveling teachers of the word. You can read about that in 3 John verses five six. Uh, there's early expression of people using their homes for the saints in the book of Acts. You can hear it in these words, Acts 2, 46 and 47. So continuing, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, probably meals, they ate their food, you can tell it, it is meals, with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now that's Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Some people read that and say, okay, Christians have to daily be in the temple or have church meetings every day and they need to break bread from all their brothers' and sisters' homes every single day because that's what they did. Well, we don't want to overread it. This is Pentecost, Okay, so this is one of the annual festivals of ancient Israel. Three times a year, people would all come to this place and spend some time there. So this is a unique time in the history of redemption. But it seems clear that early hospitality expressed itself in eating food with gladness and simplicity of heart in this passage in the homes of at least some of the saints, so we should not conclude from 1 Peter 4:9 however that Peter is specifically commanding all Christians to open their homes for the church to gather in. That would be overreading Peter's uh, injunction there. Um, not everybody is going to have a home that's conducive to such meetings. You remember when we were homeless as a church, we didn't go to anyone and everyone's house in the church. For our gatherings, we only went to a select few because they were special people. No, because they had a big house, okay? It would fit us comfortably. It was conducive to what we were doing. We didn't just, uh, you, know, you know, pick the people that cooked the best food. Actually, we kind of did. But, um. So it's not that you, if you have a house and you're a Christian and you don't have people in it, you're in sin. We don't want to go that far, okay? Um, Though hospitality certainly implies at least a willingness to have folks over your home, it does not demand having the entire church meet in our homes for a formal church meeting. So to be hospitable means being warm and generous with ourselves and our belongings toward others. Notice secondly... The beneficiaries of the command when it's obeyed. To one another. Okay? This is a, one of those one another's. Be hospitable to one another. This clearly means that Christians are to be hospitable toward other Christians. Uh, this does not mean we ought to be hospitable to all Christians at all times. Okay, we don't want to overread that as well. Be hospitable to one another. Who is he talking to? Christians. Who am I supposed to be responsible to? Christians. Are there a lot of Christians on the earth? Yes, millions and maybe billions. Do I have to have them all over my house on Tuesday night? It's impossible, okay? So we, we don't want to overextend the injunction here. We don't want to underextend it as well. It seems that he's, well, clearly, he's writing to a specific group of people, maybe even a group of churches, plural, Full of both Jews and Gentiles who were under persecution and probably outside the Holy Land as well. But he wants them to be hospitable to one another on a regular basis. So I think some Christians, excuse me, it, it, it doesn't mean we have to be hospitable to all Christians at all times. That's impossible. It does mean that our warm generosity with ourselves and our goods is to exhibit itself toward some Christians, at least, on a regular basis. So I I use the words some and Christians there. I think some Christians refers primarily to the ones you gather with every Lord's Day. Wouldn't that be the easiest to cultivate relationships with and to express genuine warmth and generosity toward the people that you're with every week? So I think it means at least that, refers to the ones we gather. So to be hospitable means being warm and generous with ourselves and our belongings on a regular basis toward the other Christians that we gather with every Lord's Day. It at least means that, okay? Okay. So if you've figured it out yet, I'm saying we need to cultivate relationships that makes it easy for us to be hospitable without sniveling, without grumbling. You're exactly right. And there's various ways that we cultivate that kind of relationships with each other, and it becomes a culture that visitors smell. I think I told you the story about Sinclair Ferguson. When he was a young preacher... He used to ask the visitors, what did you think of the preaching when they came to his church? He said, the older I got, the more I realized some of the preaching's not that good. What about the other stuff? So now he asked them, what did you see? What did you hear? And I think the third one was, what did you smell? So what people should say was, well, I saw a bunch of, Different looking people all sitting in the same building, all doing the same things, okay? What did I hear? Well, I heard the word of God read and preached, but I also heard it prayed and sung or sang or singed What did you smell? You know, what was the aroma of the, the mixture of these different looking folks all doing the same thing? It takes uh, the grace of God and the working out the grace of God by the saints. But notice the qualifying phrase here, without grumbling. I think I've said it before, without sniveling. Without complaint is some of the uh, uh, other translation. So this means don't grumble or don't complain uh, while being hospitable. You say, well, but I So when I'm not being hospitable, I can grumble and complain about those I have to be hospitable toward. Now, that's not loving, is it? So don't make utterances, it means at least this much, in the soul or in a low tone of voice while being hospitable. This seems to imply that hospitality is not always easy, right? Remember, he said, without complaint... Why would you have to say it without complaint? Well, right before, that love covers a multitude of sins. Last time we had that family over, their three-year-old spilled hot chocolate on my tablecloth. So they're off the list. Is that how we want to treat people or be treated? Because it doesn't take a three-year-old to spill something, Right? but you've spilled something at my house before, and you're not three. You should know better. People that come to my house have knocked a chair into the wall and etched a little thing of the paint off the wall. Therefore, if you're going to be hospitable, you know what's going to happen? Stuff in your bathroom is going to probably get broken by a little kid. Or a big kid scratches on the wall might happen and as soon as it does you go get your security camera find out who did it and call me i'll deal with him without grumbling can being hospitable be difficult can it be time consuming can it be inconvenient and sometimes tiring well, yeah. But these possible challenges to being hospitable are not to deter us from the clear command. It's still there in the Bible, right? Loving others is often difficult, it's time consuming. It is inconvenient and tiring but few would argue that since loving others is not always easy we are thereby set free from our responsibility to love others especially those who are hard to love oh because he's so hard to love I don't owe him anything maybe you owe him more don't be like him but still love him or her keep picking on the hymns hers can be that way too so there it is. Very simple text. I think all believers uh, resonates with them. Most of us can probably remember when you went to a building and you didn't know anybody or hardly anybody, it felt like an outcast, and somebody showed you where the bathroom was, introduced themselves, you know, just reached out to you, showed you some love, and whether you were an unbeliever or a believer, it, it struck a chord in your heart. It resonated. With you. Uh, Like I said before, people want to be treated warmly and generously. They especially want that from God, don't they? That's why I said let's be like God in this. So let's do some contemplation. I just have two, and then we'll be able to uh, take our break. But our first contemplation is this. Given the scripture injunctions concerning Christian hospitality, if you are a believer in Christ... Your love for the saints will show itself in your hospitality toward the saints. In your willingness to be both warm and generous toward them. True believers are warm and generous toward other believers. Saints make other saints feel accepted and protected and when need arises, provided for. I probably saw this exemplified uh, in a very powerful way several years ago when um, this family, this couple friends of ours, um, basically wanted to share the load. We were having people over a lot. This is when we lived elsewhere. We were having people over a lot on Sunday nights. And they said, we're not doing this this way anymore. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, we're going to split it up 50 50, half the time at your house, half the time at ours. Now, this couple actually has a mansion, okay, a really nice house, and everybody knew who they were and the entire community. Of course, our, everybody in the church knew, but not everybody in the church had been over their house before. So we just started, it was natural for them. They just started having people over that would like walk in like this. But you know what they did? They'd walk right up to him, give him a hug, let me have your jacket, and made him feel so much at home. The testimony I got from some of the people about the grace of God and this couple's life that was willing to receive whoever wanted to come over. Actually, we had an invitation list. But we strategically invited people that weren't the same over there. It was just a wonderful thing to see. If you are a believer, God requires this uh, of you not to gain heaven but to show you that little piece show others that a little piece of heaven is coming to my heart and i just i don't have a lot of things maybe but what i do have it's god's and i want to share it with especially with god's people so if, in first corinthians 13 you know love does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It applies to us when we're attempting to be hospitable. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So love is the one of the senior badges, chief badges of true Christian discipleship. People, as believers, we should be able to go into another community of believers and say, you know what, they're different than us, but they love each other. And unbelievers should see there's something about those commitments among those those Christians that I know that seems to be bonds that are Strong, stronger in some senses than just horizontal bonds with flesh and blood. So the first contemplation was, given the scripture injunctions concerning Christian hospitality, if you're a believer, your love for the saints will show itself in your hospitality toward them. There's a psalm, is it Psalm 163? of the saints upon the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. That's David. That's like, whoa, the primacy of the saints' love for the saints on the horizontal level. Now, love among the saints will save no one. Right? But you know what it is? It's a hook. It, it hooks people. You can, you can hook unbelievers with love, but you can't change their hearts because it might cause them to come back for more and maybe try to get into that community of love and then at some point they'll realize you don't just jump into this community of love. The, the second greatest commandment Isn't the gospel? Which leads me to my last contemplation. Secondly, given the scripture injunctions concerning Christian hospitality, if you are not a believer, you must ask yourself why God requires hospitality of Christians. You ever wondered that? Believer or unbeliever. Why does God require hospitality of Christians? I think it is because of this. God calls his children to be like him. Think of it. God made the world and all things in it. God made you and upholds, sustains your life. He gives you existence. He gives you life. He gives you breath. He gives you shelter. He gives you clothing. He gives you food and sometimes gladness of heart. And irrespective of what you do with God, what God gives you, He keeps on giving you these things even though you don't earn them or deserve them. You ever thought of that? Like breathing. Remember that quote by the Scottish Presbyterian from the 19th century? Every pulsation of our hearts depends upon the divine goodness. Every pulsation of our heart depends Depends upon the goodness of God toward us, for us, and even in us. Uh, We don't earn heart pulsations, do we? Think of all the unbelievers on the earth. Their heart is beating. Think of the worst blasphemers on the earth. Their heart is beating, their blood is pumping. And yet, it's not like they earned it. Matter of fact, if, you know, you ever heard that statement, people say, God is my judge. You can't judge me. Only he can. That's not good news. Because he's already judged us, and he's already announce to us what his verdict is, and it's not a good verdict. But still, even though the verdict is against us, we have a plight that we have to overcome. Uh, God's holy and we're not, and yet he requires us to be that. He still gives pulsating hearts. He still causes blood systems to work. He still causes uh, the ability to hear sound and pleasant music and, and the enjoyment of it by people who clench their fists against him every single day, while all he's doing is giving, giving, giving. Making, sustaining, moving. And yet Paul says, God does all that, and we don't thank him, at least how we ought to. So think of it. Actually, outside of Christ, or not being a believer in the gospel, You deserve the opposite of pulsating hearts. Because you don't give them thanks as you ought. So here are all these guilty people walking around the earth, smiling, rebelling against God, eating food, wearing clothes, and going to movies, and having friends, fornicating, committing adultery, breaking all the commandments all the time, every single day, and yet this divine goodness keeps coming toward them and for them. Why do you think God wants his people to be hospitable? Maybe because in a weird way God is hospitable? God creates, God populates, God gives, 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 and then gives more. And he's very patient, and yet he still gives. And that patience, divine patience, Romans 2, is calculated to move people to repentance, not to abuse the gifts, but to realize that you 're a gift abuser, and therefore guilty and justly liable to punishment listen to romans eleven thirty five and thirty six or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. This is the Jobian argument here from the book of Job. OK, who first gives stuff to god God receives it, is enhanced by it, and then says, oh, you did that to me, I'll do that to you. Does Is God in this give and take relationship with creatures? God makes us, God enhances our being with all these good gifts, and so we in turn enhance God's being. God tinkers with us, we tinker with him. God makes us a little less sinful at times and maybe a little grain of thankfulness in us, and we make God a little less or a little more uh, understanding of us. We change, and then we change God. Is is that the way it goes? I hope not. Because just think of of it that way. God makes, sustains, and moves every single creature, every moment, those The hearts and souls of those creatures are living. Okay, so God is affecting all the the mutations of creatures, all the changes of us, ultimately. Do you want to say, and we do the same to God? You can't even track your own change. But now, if you want to say that, billions and billions of people affect Alterations in God every single moment of every single day. Somebody wrote a book 25 years ago, God Without Mood Changes. That's what we need. Somebody used an illustration once. Here's a child playing in the backyard and the child falls off the swing, let's say, and gets a boo-boo. So, what does the child need? Well, in order for the child to really feel the mother really understands the plight of having a boo boo on the knee, the child needs the mother to go out there and say, Hold on, sweetie, let me get on the swing and fall off like you so I can really enter into your pain and help you. You know, if the child's going ballistic, running, Mommy, Mommy. The child doesn't need mommy go, sweetie, sweetie, sweetie. Out of control, right? She wants and desires just the opposite. A loving fixture of principle that reaches out and generously and warmly cuddles the child, you know. That's a creaturely analogy, but what we need in God is not the give-and-take God of so much syrupy, contemporary thinking. Um, We need the God who just gives, 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 and gives, and then whatever we lack, you know what we need? We need Him to provide for that too, okay? Because we don't say, oh, I lack something, therefore I'll earn something from you by providing for my own lack. We say, Lord... It's worse than I ever thought. I am more polluted than I ever thought. And you're God, not a creature. I'm not a small version of you, and you're not a bigger version of mankind. You're God. We're creatures. We're messed up. We've messed ourselves up. We mess other people up as well. I need you to forgive me and somehow, some way, figure out a way to provide righteousness that I can't earn myself but that can be credited to my account. You know what? That's why we're here. God's done that in the gospel, right? How about this one? What is the most hospitable act ever conducted on the earth? Maybe it's something like this. Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, the the incarnation the Son of God assuming our nature in a hostile world, Christ died for the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly, right? Whose world was it in the first place that the incarnation occurred in? God's. Now God invites sinners to enjoy enjoy him and all he has for sinners by repenting and believing in his son. God is creator and sustainer of all there is. We are sinners in need of love and acceptance, but these things are not merited by us. It's just the opposite. For God so loved the world. You ever heard this verse? That he, here's what it is, gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I think it is this. Given the scripture injunctions concerning Christian hospitality, if you're not a believer, you must ask yourself why God requires hospitality of Christians. Generous giving. You know why? that's what he's like. Even in the midst of ungratefulness and unthankfulness all over the earth, all the time. And in the, the pinnacle expression of that was the giving of his son in the first place. So, so unbeliever, become a believer. And believer, be like God. Be generous and warm toward even enemies. But we're talking mostly about friends, you know, Christians. Who can be salty at times, vinegary at times, difficult at times, by the way, if you 're a salty, vinegary, difficult person don 't say you know what the Bible says you 've got to be hospitable to me without complaint, yeah, it also says love covers a multitude of sins, and i 'll cover your sins, but don 't you know push them on me or justify your your crustiness because of that, so anyway, those are my contemplations on that. I trust those will be. Uh, that'll be helpful to you. We're going to respond in prayer and then sing uh, about the grace of God in the church. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your mercy, your grace toward us in Christ. We thank you for the graces you give us as believers. We pray that you would help us to be hospitable without grumbling, without complaint, And that you would enlarge our hearts toward our brothers and sisters and enlarge our hearts toward lost men and women and boys and girls as well. Bless your word to our soul and help us to sing with grateful hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.